As we approach the 45th anniversary of the Voyager missions, we thought we'd have a little look at these impressive spacecraft. Yeah, it blows my mind that they're still out there and checking in every now and then as well. Incredible stuff. Don't forget to let us know your thoughts on this episode. You can find us at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Yep, please do that. But right now, we hope you enjoy the latest episode of the Space and Things Podcast. Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm currently recording my next album at Abbey Road Studios, so we pre-recorded our January episodes. Yeah, unfortunately, while Dave is busy, there'll be no news rundowns in the podcast, but we'll have a full catch-up on that when he's finished in the studio. But right now, let's crack on with this show. So, in the summer of 1977, two spacecraft launched within a few weeks of each other, which would dramatically change how we would look at the planets in our solar system and how we viewed ourselves against that backdrop. In 1965, some calculations were made which showed that it would be possible for a spacecraft to visit all four of the giant gas planets in the outer solar system by using the gravity of each planet to send the spacecraft onto the next planet. This alignment only happens once every 176 years. In July 1972, the Mariner-Jupiter-Saturn 1977 mission was approved by NASA. Uh, This was the mission's name before being renamed in 1977. The management of the program would be done by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, with the original plan uh, only committing to visiting Jupiter and Saturn, and thus building upon the success of the Mariner spacecraft that flew by Venus, Mars, and Mercury. Yep, so after being renamed Voyager, they both launched on Titan Centaur rockets. Oddly, Voyager 2 launched first on August the 20th, with Voyager 1 launching on September the 5th. This was because Voyager 1 would actually reach Jupiter and Saturn first. And it actually only took... Less than two years for Voyager 1 to reach Jupiter, making its closest approach on March the 5th of 1979, with Voyager 2 making its own close pass on July the 9th of that year. Voyager 1 made its closest approach of Saturn on November 9th, 1980, and then went on to become the first man-made object to reach interstellar space on August 25th, 2012. On that journey, it turned its camera towards back towards the solar system, On February 14, 1990, when it was 4 billion miles from the sun and took a family portrait getting photos of Venus, Earth, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Meanwhile, Voyager 2 went on the grand tour, having its closest approach of Saturn on August 25th, 1981, Uranus on January the 24th, 1986, and Neptune on August the 25th, 1989, 12 years after it launched. And then it took the long journey out of the solar system, reaching interstellar space on the 5th of November, 2018. These two spacecraft, Emily, they're just incredible. Yeah, and they're still going. Um, we're still in contact with them uh, through the Deep Space Network, which is, to me, just mind-blowing because it really speaks to how robust 1970s technology is. I mean, I'm amazed we're still 
in communication with them at this time. It, it's just to me, that's nuts because I'm like, I can't. I could be wrong, and if I am wrong, you know, please somebody get in contact with us and and set me straight. But I I want to say they're probably two of the oldest spacecraft that we're still in touch with. I mean, they're 45, which to me is like that's old for you know a spacecraft. You know, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. There's uh there's a Voyager.jpl.nasa.gov website, and it has both of them there, and it says the date they were launched. It's got their mission clocks, uh, their current distance from Earth. Like as we're recording this, uh, Voyager One is. Oh, I don't even say it. 14 billion 423 million 819,000 miles and you can see it's jumping up it's jumping up like obviously how fast it's traveling uh from the from the earth while Voyager 2 is coming up close to 12 billion miles away I mean it's crazy that this this stuff actually is right there for us to to read uh Voyager 1 traveling at 38,000 mile an hour and Voyager 2 at 34,000 mile an hour that mile an hour crazy and there's still instruments on board which are which are on as well uh voyager one has got a cosmic ray subsystem a low energy charge particle a magnetometer uh, and a plasma wave subsystem voyager two has all of those on as well as well as a plasma science uh instru- apparatus on as well so it's pretty crazy what what they're doing and the fact we're still getting stuff from them yep i i just did a google search because i was uh really uh curious and i believe uh that voyager 2 is the longest mission uh ever uh really at this time i think it's the longest mission ever and i think it's the eldest spacecraft to be operating yeah i think there are rocket stages that have been up longer that have been orbiting earth longer than that but it's i mean it's it's the operational part of it isn't it which is so impressive yeah it's been actually returning signals back to earth for god 40, almost 45 years, which is, that's, that's quite a, yeah, that's quite a while. It's older than I am, which is saying a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I think, I think when we haven't even talked yet about the photos that these things uh, took when they had their flypasts of the planet. I mean, they, those are such iconic images, which are still used to this day when we're talking about those planets, particularly uh, what Voyager 2 took of Neptune and, and uh, Uranus, because Nothing's been back there, I don't think, to take photos. Has has it? I don't think they no. have. No, uh, we have we haven't had any other spacecraft go visit those. I think there are probably I want to say there are some proposals about maybe missions to return back to Neptune. Um, just because I mean it's just not been investigated much. Yeah. Voyager was it. So I, I'm hoping we send more spacecraft back there, but it's sort of like Venus, not many We've had more explorations of Venus than we have had of Neptune. So (laughs) that's saying a lot. And it's such a beautiful blue color as well. The images, that blue, it's just fantastic. Uh, I always remember looking at that when I was in the book and being amazed by it. Blue was my favorite color as a kid. So I was probably gravitated towards that being my favorite planet. Yeah, it's like this exquisite, like uh, royal blue, like this. Oh, it's, it's really pretty. It's really pretty. I'm really intrigued by Uranus and Neptune just because they're they're so far out there and just there's not there's just not a lot of uh, information about them to this day. I, I'm amazed we even went there the first time, honestly. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just the the pictures of those planets to me are just still mind blowing just because they're so far out. And I think uh, 
we discovered with Uranus there were that it had rings and that it was kind of lying on its side during Voyager, which was I don't think that's something we knew because um, those outer planets they're so far out that uh, you need like a decent telescope to see them, you know, from Earth. Like you can't just go outside and see them in the night sky or anything like that. Yeah, you and know? we didn't have anything like Hubble up in the, above the atmosphere. No, and not to take away from anything Hubble did because Hubble is incredible. But I mean, if you look back at, you know, the, some of the images, the first images that um, Hubble took of Pluto, they're not really great because Hubble, no. I mean, Pluto is such a distant target. I mean, it, it really is. Then you look at New Horizons, which did a flyby. And I mean, it's just a thousand times different. Not to take away from Hubble. Hubble is incredible, but it's just you're looking at something that's an incredible distance away from us, you know? Yeah. It's not never going to be the same as actually sending something there. Yeah, it's not like going to Starbucks on 4th Street. Because, like, I remember when um, <laughs> New Horizons was actually happening, people, some of the first images we got that they got back, it was before, like, the actual flyby. So you saw, like, sort of a very, like, a distance image. And people were, like, acting stupid on the internet. Like, why is it so blurry? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's so far away still. Like, um, <laughs> Pluto's far away. Like I didn't know what to tell them. Like they're not. It's not on Fourth Street, y'all. Like it, it's a yeah, little yeah, ways yeah. out, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my god. Like people got crazy over it. So yeah, I don't know. I just I, for some reason I remember that. I don't know why. I just remember people were acting nuts because it wasn't like the image that we all know now with the you know the. The one we got the next morning that was just like, oh my God, this it has a heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's such a beautiful image, that New Horizons one, uh, for sure. Do you know what blows my mind, though, still, is when I think back of it, and I know I know they started the communications thing in the, in the 60s, but the fact that they were able to send those images back and, and there was, you know, you think about being able to download images and things like that as being a, a fairly modern invention, right? But but no, in the 70s, that stuff was was there. And, well, before that, they were doing it from the moon, obviously, and that's obviously where this technology grew. But you look at those first images that came back from the moon in the 60s, and they were horrible images, right? A horrible, grainy thing. And within 10 years, you already got to the point where a spacecraft could be so much further away and send back send back such clarity and such beautiful images. Yeah, you're exactly right. The uh, the the pictures from Voyager. I mean, we do. I do want to say, you know, we we have more modern spacecraft like Cassini and Juno, which is still flying yep. uh, by Jupiter now, uh, orbiting Jupiter. I believe we still we have more modern spacecraft that are imaging planets now, but the Voyager images. I mean, you can still see them in a lot of, you know, textbooks or a lot of books about spaceflight. They're incredibly high resolution. Um, they're, I remember first seeing, oh God, another indicator of how old I am. I remember as a young child seeing them like in National Geographic, like a few months after the flybys, you know, and Nat Geo would always come through with the best pictorials ever like they'd be like and here's all the pictures from you know voyager flying by jupiter and you'd be like oh my god this is yeah. the freaking awesome episode of the or volume of this magazine voyager's imaging system was so incredible for its time it allowed for the discovery of like volcanic activity on a 
some of uh like one of Jupiter's moons. Uh, I think it's Eo, Io, Eo, yeah. Io. Um, yeah, because I, I remember reading this story, and I believe it's in uh, the Nat Geo that I have, but it's also I think been told in a lot of you know films and documentaries about Voyager. But uh, there was a woman working at JPL, a young woman, and her name was Linda Morabito, and she was analyzing some of the pictures coming in from uh, Voyager because. They would get pictures in like, you know, like on a TV, you know, on a TV uh, set and they would sort of just analyze them, you know, sort of look, you know, look at the contrast and the color. You know, they would sort of adjust the pictures to see, okay, what are we looking at here? So she does this and she looks and she sees there's something like a plume coming off of this, like this moon, Jupiter's moon. And she's like, that's really weird. And turns out it was a volcanic eruption, you know, and. That's the kind of stuff we were figuring out on Voyager. And it was it's just to me, it's mind blowing that we were able, like you said, you know, within, you know, 10 years of some of the first planetary missions where you see the pictures and they're not very impressive. You know, that it's sort of like you have to imagine the planets. That, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like if you see the first, you know, Mariner pictures of Mars, you know, I think they're yeah. from 1964. They're not really pictures. They're more like a color by number, sort of like they got data points and they charted them. And it's not bad, but still, it's sort of like, imagine this is what Mars looks like. OK, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it was very primitive, you know, but at the time that was that's all they had. And if you look at, you know, Voyager in 1979, you know, getting getting its images, I mean, it just sent back. It was a world of difference. So you're absolutely right. And I also want to point out during the 70s, I'm totally talking over everything. I love talking about this stuff because to me, it's so cool. Um, you had Pioneer 10 and 11, which were also which were operated by Ames, NASA Ames. And mm -hmm. um, they also uh, traversed uh, uh, Saturn and, and Jupiter as well. And they took some decent photos. I, I don't think they were. I don't think they actually those spacecraft actually had like a camera. It was called something different, like an imager or a scanner. It worked a little differently from an actual camera, but it did send back some impressive for for its time pictures. But they're not as high res as what we got from Voyager. Yeah, it was funny you mentioned Pioneer and 10 and 11 because I was about to bring them up myself. Uh, so they obviously uh, preceded Voyager and they both carried, I don't know if you know this, they small small metal plaques which identified the uh, the time and place uh, of their origin just in case they should bump into something out there. Uh, and as ridiculous as that sound, NASA them decided, oh, we need to be a bit more ambitious with Voyager. Uh <laughs> So they've they made these golden records, which are on board. Which uh, I mean, it's just crazy. It's a twelve-inch gold-plated copper disc which contains sounds and images uh, selected to portray the diversity of life and culture on the Earth. And there's loads of stuff on these. Uh, One hundred and fifteen odd images, and it was actually chaired by Carl Sagan. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, ninety-minute music selection can take. There's spoken greetings uh, from loads of different languages. Uh, just crazy, a, a, a section of sounds on. I mean, it's all wonderful, and I love the fact that they did it. But I mean, if it does meet anyone, 
how are they going to know how to play that thing or that they even have to play that? It's it's all a bit nuts to me. But the, these are kind of iconic. And you see these pop up. I don't know if you get the adverts for replicas to buy these yeah. kind of things. I get it all the time. Yeah, I get uh, the. I get them. I, I've actually, I'm a, I'm such a dork. I've actually sat and listened. I don't have them, but uh, you could probably, I think you can find them on YouTube. But I've actually listened to the Voyager Golden Record. It's actually the, um, I think the introduction is by Kurt Valheim, who was, I want to say he was the head of the UN at the time. I could be wow. totally wrong. And it's actually really quite beautiful and sort of just, it puts a tingle up your spine because it's really a, it is a beautiful gesture towards, you know, if there is something else out there, you know, which who knows. But um, it, it's kind of it's very kind of an unusual listen, you know, and it's it's kind of moving. It kind of makes you sad in a way because you're like it is these are sounds of Earth, but it's just kind of like, I don't know, it, it, it makes you sort of like sad because you realize the person who's getting it, if they do receive it, you know, they're just going to be such a ways away and it might be something completely like foreign to them like they can't even translate it you know what i'm saying it, it's just it's almost of, wasted isn't it it's almost it's a weird feeling listening to them when you realize you know okay what it, the audience that it's for they might not even understand it because they might yeah. have who knows maybe their culture is 180 degrees from ours we have no idea yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's 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 a lovely idea, and and I think I express, especially like that it, it did bring a lot of people together uh, in order to do it, and and, it, and they tried to use it as a diplomatic event as well, which um, we need more of, in my opinion. Yes, yeah, I agree. NASA has since that. Um, obviously, things have gotten a little more sophisticated now. We don't have to put a whole gold record on a spacecraft, but um, uh, NASA has sort of upheld the tradition of of doing that but now like for example uh, perseverance we talk about perseverance a lot on this show um perseverance has a, i believe a chip and it has um names on it and there was a time where you could when it was called mars 2020 where you could send your name and they put your name you could put your name on mars and i'm very proud to say Smokey and bandit my cat ah uh, yes their names are on mars so <laughs> Bandit was very happy when he heard Smokey was on Mars. So, oh, that's great! It's a nice touch, and and things like that make uh, make something that's going along a lot quite far away a little bit more personal to people on Earth, doesn't it? So, I think I think that's a useful way of connecting um, to to what's going on. Absolutely, I I do think now I'm getting kind of emotional. Uh, I do think it's very important to connect these robotic spacecraft missions with things that are sort of human you know because i know some people probably won't agree with me they're like they're very science oriented which is fine i have no problem with that and i think what these spacecraft have done are amazing especially voyager i mean we discovered so many things that we just had literally no clue about just no mm. idea you know like like what i said about jupiter we didn't know what some of its moons were really like we knew they had moons but we didn't know what was happening on them. And same thing, you know, we, we knew Saturn had rings. We didn't know exactly how many rings it had or how, what the possibility of rings. We didn't know Uranus had rings. You know, um, we didn't even know really what we knew. Neptune was kind of bluish, you know, and really the Grand Tour enabled us to learn so much. I mean, and there there's obviously so much more we need to learn, but um. I really think putting those little sort of personal touches 
on a spacecraft are really cool. Like, even... I wasn't alive for this, but when Viking came up, uh, you probably don't know about this, but I, I sort of do just because this stuff was everywhere. They put a Bicentennial logo on it. Because, oh, nice. Yeah, because the United States was uh, celebrating its Bicentennial at the time. And just, you know, they didn't have like, um, you know, a, a Voyager, like a disc on it or they, but it was just kind of a neat touch. Like, you know, hey, you know, we're celebrating our 200th anniversary and we're on Mars, you know? So I yeah. thought that was kind of neat. I love those little sort of personal like touches like, OK, we're here. <laughs> no, absolutely. When I think about these uh, these missions, yes, we've got Cassini and Juno, as you said there. But I always think about when when is it going to be that a humans are going to get out there? Yeah, and it's not it's not going to be in our life, is it? But it does. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. Maybe, I but, hope. They're so those planets, those four planets are so much bigger than Earth, Venus, and Mars. They're so much bigger. I think I can't imagine what it must be like to see them with your own eyes. I, I mean, because they just feel so like I, I don't know if you've ever seen Jupiter or, or Saturn for a telescope as a small dot, yeah. but but it's crazy when you look at anything. Oh my god, they're actually real because even the photos they just they just seem so otherworldly. Well, they are, but you know, so <laughs> not real kind of thing that actually I can't wait for human eyes to. Well, it's same with Mars and Venus, it's true, but those places in particular just they're just so larger than life and so crazy and ridiculous that I think it's going to be one of the most crazy times when when humans can actually set eyes upon those themselves that's i really love that you mentioned that because I, I i sometimes i'll read books about like robotic exploration and of course they have all the pictures and usually they have voyager pictures as well and i think about that because i'm like it is going to be so nuts for the person who sees that with their actual eyeballs the first time because there's nothing they if you see like jupiter let's say you know even from a distance, if you saw Jupiter, you know, you're you're away from it enough that the radiation's not hitting you. It's still going to be enormous. So your yeah. mind isn't, you know, your mind is used to seeing pictures of something versus, you know, a two dimensional picture versus this three dimensional gigantic planet. I'm always reminded of what um, Mike Collins said in Carrying the Fire about when he saw the moon for the first time, you know. You remember that passage, don't you? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How he was discovering that it didn't look like the moon at all that he was used to, you know? <laughs> yeah. That really, that that passage for me was very moving because it's like, I've never thought about that, the moon that way before, because obviously I haven't seen it like that. I haven't seen it right in front of me, you know, but he was basically like, you know, it's not like the moon that I've always grown up with. Yeah. And I think, I think that's definitely going to be a, be a thing. Uh, when we get there, it's going to be a similar thing. And who's going to write that book? Hey, yeah, <laughs> we'll find uh, out eventually. Yeah. Just uh, could you imagine the day where, where where life exists that you can go to Jupiter on holiday and still come home again? I know it's going to be a long trip, but can you even imagine that? I mean, that'd be nuts, wouldn't it? I, I, I would. I don't know. I, if I have time, I'd volunteer myself, man. Yeah, uh, Jupiter is one of. I, it's. I know it's kind of weird to have a favorite planet. You know, but Jupiter is definitely up there as one of my favorites because it's just such a weird, like, what is going on? It's just a weird place. Like, um, I went to the Juno launch in 2011. I went to some of the press conferences for it. I was I was part of the NASA social for it. 
And some of the press conferences, they're explaining, you know, okay, this is what we want to find out about Jupiter. This is what we think Jupiter's composition is. And automatically I was like, oh my God, they, there's still a lot of unknowns. Yeah. yeah, there's we still don't know everything about this. And they're like, yeah, we're trying to answer these questions because we don't know everything. I mean, we have some data from, you know, Voyager and from some other spacecraft, but that's it. There's just yeah. so much to still discover, you know, and Jupiter's kind of a weird, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't follow the rules, you know, so it's, it's kind of a weird place. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. And I still, I don't know. I still have, I think I have it actually pretty close to me. I still have the 1979 um, issue of Nat Geo that has the picture of, uh, I think it's Io on the cover with the volcanic eruption. I still have that. I got that when I was a little older because I was only one in 1979. So I (laughs) I couldn't read it yet, but I got it when I was a little older. And I remember just seeing that as a kid and thinking, holy crap, that's amazing. Like, they just, yeah, like Voyager just flipped around, took a picture and was like, okay, here this is, you know, here it is. <laughs> it's just nuts to me. Like, you know, I feel like if you tried to make Voyager, the Voyager missions, if let's, let's say they hadn't happened and somebody tried to make a, like a movie about a mission like that, nobody would believe it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird though, because I feel like uh, you, you just made me, follow a thought process in my head which is kids are spoilt these days aren't they because all these photos are at the touch of a button and for us we had to have them in a book or in a magazine or have had to have bought the poster if we were going to see them we had to own them physically we couldn't just all, all go to the library and get the book or something like that these things were special when we got to see them I remember when I got my first book that had had the Voyager photos in and I loved it. I loved getting home from school and opening it and looking again because it just was so inspiring. And what I mean, maybe maybe parents are, are clever with how they're inspiring their kids these days. I mean, there's a great some great Twitter accounts which show uh, which post different photos from these planets every day and and so on and so forth and bits of Jupiter I think there's one that's called bits of Jupiter bits of Pluto and they're amazing and, and they give you that little taste every day but we were we were overwhelmed with information and and stuff whereas we weren't when we were kids were we 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 so it was all so romantic and so special for us it really was like um it's funny you say that because I was just thinking about that recently because i was thinking about um this is a little change of topic but i was thinking about when inspiration four went up and everybody was like we want live pictures right now and i'm like yeah and i was thinking about you know 30 35 odd 30 40 years ago you know when the space shuttle was happening and i remember i was real little and you'd get like some tv from the space shuttle like on nasa select or on you know, sometimes the nightly news would show us a snippet like, hey, you know, STS-41B, they're they're in space. Bruce McCandless did a did a cool spacewalk, you know? Yeah. And um, but if you wanted to see actual mission photos, you had to wait because they were on film. So they had to come back to Earth, develop the film. And then usually it would take a while. NASA would release the photos later. So you had to wait a while. Now, I don't remember a lot of missions as a kid that had immediate photos <laughs> I'm, yeah. i i don't want to be too critical because you know i don't want to attack people you know i i 
But at the same time, I'm sort of like, we didn't get anything when I was a kid. Like, we got a few clips maybe on the nightly news. And maybe if you had access to NASA TV, you could see some, like, television clips. But um, if you wanted to see actual, fo- like, images, like photos, you had to wait a while. Yeah. I like the fact now that we do have sort of this access to, you know, information. It is cool. But it was more romantic back then, I think, because you had to sort of anticipate it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would I would go through the newspaper if I thought about it. And if there was any space photos, would be it a shuttle launch or land or whatever, I'd cut them out. Yeah. And I'd go in my little folder. That that was what I did. And if I happened to not have a chance to read the paper, but my mum and dad had and they knew there was something in there, they'd leave it on my bed so I, so I could get it. Uh, that's what you had to do. And, and, and I had a collection of ones that I was going to save up because you could write to the paper and get them to print you, like send yeah. you a, a print, but you had to pay for I it. I remember that. I remember that. And I had a, like a wish list of photos I wanted to have like proper prints of, but I would, you know, make do with these newspaper cuttings because that's what we had to do. Yeah. You know, what's actually kind of cool. And I don't know why I'm remembering this. Um, when I was a kid, when I was a kid back in the day. <laughs> oh, we sound so old, don't we? I need a oh, cane or God. something or a walker. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, you could actually, this was, this was like the really good, like the real good old days. Okay. You could actually write NASA. And I did this a couple times. You could actually write NASA and request like, Hey, can you guys send, you know, me some, you know, maybe pamphlets or pictures or something like that, you know, and they would send them to you and you yeah. would get this boss envelope in the mail that had the worm logo on it <laughs> and it would just be full of brochures and posters and pamphlets and pictures. And it was awesome. And I think now, though, on a lot of that stuff is available electronically, which it, which is still nice. It's definitely easier to access. You don't have to write anybody. But at the same time, it's sort of like, man, I... I missed that. You would write them and they would just send you a big old packet and it'd be like... Getting a letter from NASA in the post with your name on it. That's got to be cool. Yeah, with the with the worm logo and it would be yeah. from like Washington, D.C. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like you would feel like like so special or something. I don't know. It was really cool. That was really fun. I think I still have them in the house, the, <laughs> the packets that I got because they had some amazing brochures that, you know, and, and poster. I mean... I don't know. I'm still a nerd for this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> well, uh, there are memories of uh, of how all this stuff happened. If you've got, if you are listening and you have memories or c- maybe some cuttings or images from Voyager yourself, we'd love to know your stories about uh, how you remember these missions uh, or, or what they mean to you. Uh, we'd, we'd just love to hear from you. So please, 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 please do get in contact. Uh, and if we've missed out anything that you think was important, let us know as well. But definitely check out within the show notes that the, the JPL websites for for these missions are pretty cool. Uh, there's yeah. You know, all up to date and it, it's nice it's got a nice timeline thing of what happened and all the images and all that kind of stuff they're all interactive so actually if you do have kids and uh you want to you want to show them and inspire them great place to go just spend it spend a day hey look what they did 45 years ago absolutely yeah and i just want to interject there's some there's some really um excellent books and documentaries about voyager out there um, you could probably find some NASA documentaries about it on YouTube that are 
that are free. But there, uh, there is a movie, I believe it was released in 2017, called The Farthest. Uh, that's an amazing film about the Voyager program. And there's a couple books. Uh, actually, I think the book that covers Voyager is uh, Ambassadors from Earth, which is by Jay Galantine. I think that's the one that covers Voyager. That's an incredible book that discusses the, those missions. So if you want to learn a little more, those are some good places to start. Fantastic. Thank you very much for uh, reminding me to do that. No problem. Uh, right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Roger, Zero-G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider hitting that share button. It really does make a big difference in helping us to reach new people. Yes, your personal recommendations do more than any advertising campaign ever could. So thanks to all who continue to do that for us. We hope you enjoyed our little look at the Voyager spacecraft, but don't forget, in space, no one can hear you stream. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.